All right, we're back with you at Three Point Range, and uh, we have a fresh trio of topics for you, or at least a trio, and we'll go, this is Mike Berardino speaking to you, we'll go right to, we'll get to Tim Crothers in a moment, but first, Kimball Crossley. All right, well, I'm going to break the rules here a little bit, and I got to admit, this is not a, a point, really, it's not like one of my total takes, and uh, it's, it's a little more of a discussion and a fascination, if you will. And that is, I, I've always been intrigued my whole sports life about the relevance of coaching, like how much do coaches matter? What impact do they have? And obviously it's broad in different sports and things like that. But so many events of the last few days have brought that to mind. And, um, and one of them is obviously the college championship last night, uh, Saban winning what his sixth title at Alabama, his seventh overall, which is just amazing. And I read a stat that that is more than all the other 129 uh, CFS, whatever they're called, coaches combined. And that was mind boggling. And you say, well, okay, well, does that mean he's a great coach? Or he's just built this great program and his talent is just absurd compared to the rest, the way they can just dominate everybody. And there's so many examples of this. And I guess part of what inspired me to talk about this today is I do coach high school basketball and it's always so interesting to actually coach it and then follow it and, you know, cover it, you know, watch high college basketball, watch NBA basketball, all levels and how different they are. And I know you both have done some uh, youth league and, and other coaching as well. And so you, I want to hear your thoughts on this. But one of the things that happens whenever you coach basketball and Massachusetts high school basketball just started uh, in Rhode Island, excuse me, basketball just started last night. And um, so it was our first practice. And you're always reminded of just like the futility of coaching. Right? You, just, you, you sit there and you think, I, I run drill after drill. I try and get these guys to do this. For example, like, you know, trying to get young basketball players to not drive and leave their feet is just, it's, it's huge. I always think like, is this the most important thing we do is to try and break them of that bad habit. And you like try and do it. You drum it in, you drill, you drill, you stress the importance, you watch video, and then it's still let it fly. And so, you know, but then I always remember that there comes a point in the season where, you know, you're so frustrated, you go to practice every day and think, what, what is the point? They don't listen, they don't respond. And then there comes a point at some point where you watch a kid, like a couple of years ago, I had this kid that was a great driver, just dr drive the lane, keep his dribble alive, stop, make a simple pass. And I was like, hallelujah, <laughs> hallelujah. It does work. But it is interesting to try and figure out how much it, it works at every level. And and again, some of the things that have come to mind lately are the obvious Brady Belichick, right? And that was, we were always wondered, 20 years of excellence, you know, was it Brady, was it Belichick, was it combination? And, and, and right now, obviously, it's like, oh, you can make a great, it's all the quarterback, it's not Belichick. And when you look at Belichick's record, for those of you who don't know, in games without Brady, as opposed to with Brady, it's, it's absurd difference. It's just crazy. And, and you know, you can also cite some other factors why that is. And I would argue that Brady is not Brady without the coaching of Belichick, that especially when I also heard him, like some great audio of him in this last game, you know, he was wired. And some of the things he does that are beyond just throwing the ball and calling plays, you know, the way, way he talks to his teammates. And you got to feel like the things that Belichick, you know, imprinted in Brady now he's taken on with him and he will take on with him, you know, throughout his life. And, um, and 
one of the other things I want to talk about is is like uh, basketball. The NBA has a couple of great examples. You know, I think the Raptors fell to two and eight last night. All right, and when we watched the Raptors, sure it was Kawhi Leonard and some other good players. But if anybody like me watched those series when they beat Golden State, you thought this Nick Nurse guy can really coach. I mean, this guy's amazing. I love what he's doing. Well, how's he look now? Or how did Steve Kerr, after years of dominance, look when his players, a couple of players, not like eight players died. It was like a couple of players got injured. And they were key players, sure, but we love to believe this program. And I'll before I flip it to you guys, the other example I'll say is, you know, college basketball. I always thought college basketball was one of the great last hopes for building a program because, because the players change, right? Every year, unlike, you know, sometimes in, in post sports where you can have Tom Brady be your quarterback for 20 years. And and there's so many teams and you're all fighting for one prize. But then it's only taken a couple of examples, like watching the the awful <laughs> decline of North Carolina basketball at times when, when they're short on talent and how good they can look when they have some and how bad they can look when they don't. And there's other examples of other programs that have just fallen completely when there's a drop off. Um, and it, it just kind of blows my mind. And I do have some thoughts on it that, you know, when we wrap up, I, I think I'll, I'll try and say if there's any, you know, uh, rhyme, you know, uh, reason to this rhyme, you know, but I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts at this point. Well, I'll jump in and say that, uh, you know, as always, context matters and, and uh, the level is certainly a key part of it. And uh, um, the younger and less uh, formed the athlete, so we're talking, uh, you know, children, preteens, early teens, those the high school level that they can still be shaped and will, are more likely to follow directly what you want, all the way up to the pro level where um, you're basically along for the ride sometimes as the coach. And see Doug Peterson now being fired not too long after defeating Belichick in a Super Bowl. So, um, you know, you're at the mercy of the talent and you're at the mercy of the injury list, all that. Uh, I, I've always kind of felt that um, at any level, um, a bad coach certainly uh, could could screw up the talent, but a the greatest coach on earth is going to have a really hard time winning with no talent or far less talent than his opponent. So you still got to have the horses. I'm going to use a, a word that might be controversial for both of you, and maybe you can argue me argue it if you want. But I'm a big believer in culture. I really am. I, I think Alabama to me is all about culture. I don't, I mean, X's and O's say what you want. And yes, they absolutely have, uh, have, a, have a, an amazing amount of talent, but so do other teams. And honestly, I, I really, I'm a real believer in the fact that Saban has created a culture there and they talked about it on the broadcast. And I thought, thought it was interesting. I mean, uh, you know, the fact that, that Jalen Waddle played in that game last night, um, that he, you know, that he had no business being out there. I mean, he could barely, barely run, but, but uh, that he wanted to be out there. I, I think there's a, I think there's a, a culture that's been created by, by Saban, and this would, this I, I would extend this to, the Patriots with Belichick as well, uh, and certainly there are other examples in other sports. Um, you know, college basketball has a few of them as well, uh, and and it goes the opposite, the opposite way as well. Uh, you know. I, Sorry, Kimball, but, you know, like the New York Jets have had a terrible culture for years, <laughs> years, and they haven't been able to figure their way out of it. And you bring in different players and whatever. You try different X's and O's. You try all this different stuff. 
if your culture is crap, you're not going anywhere. And that, I mean, that extends, you said we, you know, we've all coached. I've had, I've had 15 and under rec teams that have good culture. We, we were able to, you know, we're able to get everybody on the same page over the course of the season. And we, we end up getting better as the season goes along. And then I've had other teams that were O and 14. We never figured it out and we never could get everybody to, everybody to, to pull the same rope. And, uh, so I'm, I'm not as big a believer in the X's and O's. I think I give, I give Saban as much credit for culture, more credit for creating a culture of winning than I, than I do for his X's and O's. I have, who knows? I mean, do it. Uh Oh, well, uh, you know, there's a chicken and egg to that as well. I mean, I, I, I hear you and I, I think culture is again, part of this, but where did the Patriots culture go this year? Right. I mean, it, they fell apart um, and and other programs that we thought had great culture fall apart. And again, Steve Kerr and Golden State, it wasn't just a couple of good players or great players. It was we thought they had this great culture and then a couple guys get injured and all of a sudden, you know, the whole program falls apart. And so, you know, I I don't know if there's if which comes first, and it's easier to build a good culture when you're having some success or good players or good leaders. A lot of people like to say, you know, when your best player is a great leader and does it the right way, aka Brady, you're in good shape. Where you know, and having coached, it is it is hard when your best player, your captain, is lazy or disrespectful, as opposed to when your best player is like, this is how we're going to do it, guys. I I'm as talented as anyone, but I will work harder than everyone else too and that makes them work hard and, and listen and do the drills i mean why is Najee? why is Najee harris even even on alabama's team this year i think it's because of the culture i think it's because he realized that uh that you know coming back as a senior which he did not have to do um he had a chance to win the national championship i think he i think there's a there's a bit of a brotherhood there that that i, I just don't think exists on other in other programs and and that's what that's what brought him back, and that that ended up being a huge piece in them winning the national championship. Um, I'll just I'll, I'll just jump in and say that um, since I'm here in South Bend and I and I monitor that program closely the last several years, I mean I think Brian Kelly has built a winning culture that uh, allows Notre Dame to go a step or two beyond what its talent would otherwise dictate. They've proven that here by going. 43 and eight in a four year span. And they do pay a lot of lip service to brotherhood and people uh, putting team above self. And, and, and I think that's any winning situation that's going to uh, max out its potential and go a little beyond what it ordinarily would do that you have to uh, think about the others uh, first. I think Saban gave so many interviews last night after the game, but I caught the one with uh, Scott Van Pelt where he talked about building value and I think one, if you want to know why Najee Harris came back or any Alabama player would uh, do something that wasn't purely in his self-interest, it's because Saban has a proven record of, of helping people decide when they should go. Dean Smith would kick players out the door uh, and tell them to go early. Michael Jordan, you got to go early. Uh, this is your opportunity. And I think Saban has done that at times. It's not always come back for me. Um, and then he, he speaks the language that – the player understands um, and who has a professional future that, yeah, you might be a second rounder right now, but you might be a top 10 overall pick if you give this program and this and this process that he talks about all the time one more year. And it tends to work. Um, 
you know, uh, there's always the, the uh, exceptions to it, but uh, he's, uh, he's, he's a proven commodity in NFL people's eyes. In fact, there's a story just recently uh, out of the uh, New England media saying that Bill Belichick listens to Saban too much, perhaps, and that's why the Patriots have had some dra- a number of draft misses in recent years, not just Saban, but it's actually uh, Belichick's very tight with Brian Kelly, too. And so there's certain programs that Belichick will just kind of just turn off the film and say, okay, if he says he can play for me, then he can play for me. And here they are. They have a talent deficit. But um, uh, all of those things. And the other thing that jumps to my mind, I don't know if you guys in your coaching experience this, but I believe just having never coached beyond uh, youth ball and, you know, once they get to 13 or 14, they start asking questions. And it's no longer coach says, well, run to that fence and back. Uh, what starts to happen is they say, well, there's one little boy in particular named Alex, but a little boy anymore. I'd known him when he was little and it got to be 14. And he said to me one day in front of the whole team, I said, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to take, a, a, we're going to do one legged stretches. We're going to lift over and work on our balance. It's the balance drill for pitchers. And he goes, why? And I, and I said, what? And he said it again in front of the whole team. Why? Why? And I told my son Daniel later driving back and I I didn't yell at him or anything. I said, Alex, I'll I'll explain later. Let's just do the drill. Uh, You begin to lose a little credibility every time a player on your team at any age, at any level asks why. And the worst thing you can do is answer him and explain it in front of the team. The coach's word has to go. If you want to have a winning culture at any level, the coach has to have implicit trust, total credibility. And that one question, I wonder how many losing programs. I wonder if Cam Newton at any point this year or people are uh, a part of that Patriots culture. If, if Belichick started to hear why, why are we doing that? You know, why aren't we doing this? No, there's got to be one voice at the top and then it filters from there. Um but that's that's well, always I been. such an autocrat. No, I uh, I actually think the why question, you know, you handled it semi right there and that it it's like I'm not going to stop practice and stop the drill to answer you why. But I can explain to you later. And I, I often tell my teams, like, there's a reason why I do everything we do. And we can talk about it at some point, but it might not be time to talk about it <laughs> during the game <laughs> or during the drill. But I'd like to because I do believe like, no, I'm not just doing this for no reason. I explain why and teach why why I believe it, why we should do it. And it, it's dangerous, but I'd rather address what you know is real dissent there than, than just pretend it doesn't exist or just overwhelm it. Um, so that's my philosophy on that. I, I want to ask you about Sabin as a, and maybe Tim wants to chime in, but I do want to ask you before we end the segment at some point if about Sabin as an NFL coach, but go ahead, Tim. I was just going to say, whenever my players ask me why, I tell them, because I said so, and then I kick him off the team, and maybe that's kind of, maybe that's why we suck. <laughs> no surprise. Good luck kicking a, a kid off a youth league team. <laughs> Go ahead. Lawsuits. Nick Saban, NFL, Miami Dolphins. You're the boy, Mike. Tell me. Well, there was a famous incident. Uh, I believe in his so two Nick Saban stories from his Dolphin years stick with me. One, I believe it was Manny Wright was a defensive lineman who was on the field and. And I think he went to USC and he was very well regarded and they'd spent a high draft pick on him and he had a future and Saban didn't like something he was doing in summer drills. And he went up to him in front of the whole team and made him cry. And he, he just obliterated him the way Saban can do. And Saban doesn't get on the media quite as much as he used to, but he used to be a guy that even a fair question, he would jump you. He jumped Manny right in front of the whole team. And he basically, 
uh, he, he did it at a college coach mentality, and it doesn't fly in the pros. You can't embarrass people. I guess Manny Wright was was a sympathetic figure in that locker room, and and it, you know Saban had that thing on the verge, but um, he'd gotten back to eight and eight, and I think SI had picked him to win the Super Bowl that year. But he um, um, so it won't, you know a couple more years, maybe he would have had a championship. But his mentality at that time certainly wasn't about building value; it was autocratic. The other thing, there's a story. Uh, from very early on that was passed around uh, through the media, and I have no reason to doubt it. And that was um, uh, Saban, as he got to Miami, within the first few weeks, I uh, was walking through the team offices, and a uh, secretary said to him in front of others, she, she said something like, Coach Saban, you got a haircut. Looks nice. And he just grunted, and he kept walking. And he later sent word through, I believe, uh, no. a, a high-level official oh. to that secretary Never speak to Coach Saban first again. So that's that was his mentality when he got to the NFL coming off one national title at LSU. He had all the answers. And I'll tell you, I would submit uh, to you that just as Belichick learned from failure in Cleveland and plenty of coaches have learned from that first failure, um, and it's not even really a failure because he, he was certainly welcome to stay in Miami as long as he wanted. Heisenga loved him. Um, but he was, he was perhaps uh, humbled a bit. When he and, and he realized where he belonged, and he, he sharpened his whole game, and and as and he built the perfect modern college program, um, and that's how you end up with seven national titles, six and twelve years. But he has had missteps along the way, and he certainly, you know, it was never warm and fuzzy. But he's found a way to turn it on. He can charm, and also, you know, things like being in the blind side, that was a smart move because in, in the minds of plenty of recruits families since then, he's the guy that, that uh, Leanne, the mother, uh, Sandra Bullock says, Oh, that man is so handsome, Ding. right? He's so yeah. handsome. So uh, that was good. That was good. That was good. That was uh, Jimmy Sexton placing him. Well, uh, give me a ding. Give me a ding. Jimmy Sexton <laughs> is, is, no, is can't go for the dings. So uh, that's, that's, uh, that's saving. No. And uh, I wonder, um, you know how far he takes it. He certainly could walk away at any point, but uh, when you have it, it's not basically on autopilot now. Well, I'm, gonna, I'm not. I'm, I'm not going to pretend that I that I'm inside the Alabama program. I obviously have no idea, but but I will say as a, as an educated observer that I, I go back to what I said before, jokingly about the way I I've, I've coached. I I I mean the the impression you get, and certainly those stories that Mike just told would would fit it with this, is that. That Saban is the kind of guy who says, when somebody asks him why, he says, "Because I said so." And the fact is that works. That works pretty well in college. You got some leverage. It doesn't work as well in the NFL. And that yeah. may be a simplistic view, but I, I, I think there's something to that. Right, and that's so. You know, in wrapping things up, like that's, I would love to see Saban go to the NFL and see if if it, what he does can transfer over. Um, but but to sort of sum up, you know, I do think, and Mike sort of hit on it earlier, like the. The younger, the less talented, the more coaching matters, and and maybe the more talented, the less it matters. Um, but but then also that coaches are not either bad or good. There's fits, right? And and you could be a good fit for a program, a bad fit for a program. And like I've often thought, you know, if I ever instead of coach high school basketball, coach you know college at a very small college level, like I'd be like, no, I have no desire to recruit. I like I like getting the random players I get and coaching them up. Like, I almost feel like if I recruit players, it's not going to be the same thing. You know, I'm not going to feel like I'm coaching them. Um, so unless you guys have anything to add, I'm ready to move on. 
<laughs> yeah. Okay. Kimball, uh, success. You got bored with your own topic. No, okay. no, no. I'd love to keep talking about this. I think it fascinates me, but but we got other points to make. To, to be continued. And, and we'll uh, segue uh, seamlessly into more Bill Belichick talk because um, in what has been a frustrating year for him, he's completed a, a season he'll want to forget immediately. Um, I think that uh, last night's uh, word, the report that Bill Belichick was declining the Presidential Medal of Freedom, which is the highest civilian honor we have in this country, and one that just in recent years, Lou Holtz, Alan Page, Jerry West, Tiger Woods, Roger Penske, Mariano Rivera, Bob Cousy, and Roger Staubach have all accepted from the current president. Well, Belichick, who is apolitical, and if anything, was sympathetic to the current president, in terms of their friendship, he just noted publicly that they have a friendship that goes back many years. He chose this moment, this this perilous moment in American history to say, to release the word last night that due to the tragic events of last week at the Capitol, that he would be declining this honor. And uh, I, for one, uh, was uh, very heartened by that. I think anything that that, uh, lends a normalcy or a you know, back back to uh, previous, uh, back to our uh, regularly scheduled programming element to to life in America at this very moment would be dangerous. And uh, Belichick hasn't always been the mo- the most uh, character laden uh, public figure. And obviously, <laughs> the sp- Spygate. He's easy to he's easy to hate. He's easy to mock. And as a Dolphins fan. And even Don, the late Don Shula would call him Bella Cheat. But I'm here as a lifelong Dolphin supporter and Bill Belichick, uh, I guess, uh, agitator. I am prepared with the power invested in me to uh, issue a pardon. I pardon Bill Belichick for all prior sins, and I'd like to see his draft picks restored because what he did last night was it was not in self-interest. It was the complete opposite. It was, and I And I'm reminded, I'll just add this. And it wasn't mentioned in any of the reports, but you know, I mentioned Roger Staubach, best known in college for or in serving the country and at the Naval Academy, winning the Heisman. But Steve Belichick, uh, Bill's father, his late father, uh, was a UNC assistant, by the way, from 53 to 55, three seasons in Chapel Hill, and then became best known in the football community at, at the Naval Academy, 30 three-year span from 56 to 89 after having served the country in World War II in the Navy. Bill Belichick spent a lot of time around Annapolis, grew up in Annapolis. Um, His father passed a decade and a half ago living in Annapolis. And so I thought this was for a guy who represents the New England Patriots and people are always looking to assign some higher meaning to that. Well, this was patriotic and I commend him. Go ahead, Kimball. I don't know if I have much to add to that. I, you know, I, I, I would just say that, um, yeah, I was kind of glad to see him do it too, and I've been an anti-Belichick guy. But, you know, I, I really think he play, He he's trying to figure out what is best. And I did read somebody write, like, you know, he did this to not lose his locker room. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> Oh, no, 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 that's right. You know, and look, I'm just throwing out there as a theory. And again, I don't know. And I already just said I commend him for doing it. But, you know, let's let's keep in mind his laser focus. And um, 
you know, who knows what motivated him to do it. And he, he had to be in such a tight spot. Like, what are you going to do? And, and it was an interesting debate to hear what he was going to do, uh, like on the sports talk radio shows and whatever. And like, can you, can you take this honor and separate it from what has just happened or can you not? I don't know. All right. I'll, I'll say to, to Belichick's credit that he made the right decision. And then beyond that, I'll say, should we really be celebrating people for doing something that they clearly shouldn't do? I mean, really? Um, if so, I never got enough credit as a kid for not beating up my sister. <laughs> I mean, this, it's that simple. All right. I, I Obviously, Mike did his research. Good job, Mike. All right, you're, you're catching up with the crew here. And I, I also did my research. The free, Med, Medal of Freedom is awarded to individuals who have made exceptional contributions to the security of national interests of America, to world peace, or to cultural or other significant public or private endeavors. Now, obviously, that's where that's where these these uh, the Bill Belichicks of the world somehow somehow qualify. Uh, but Mike, those names that you listed, uh, Roger Penske, Roger Penske. <laughs> <laughs> mover and shaper shaker in the uh in the indie world so some i guess he had contributed to world peace somehow i'm, I'm not quite sure exactly no i'm that. not saying any of these were no i'm not gonna argue that uh aside from alan page uh, perhaps and jim ryan who was a congressman um mm -hmm. the rest of them uh you know and Staubach did uh, serve at least in in vietnam but uh uh, mm -hmm. the, re the rest of them were just, uh, it was just uh, autograph opportunities, I guess. It's, it's mother, you know, this, 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 this is, has been given to Mother Teresa and to Neil Armstrong. I'm on board for that. Um, <laughs> but it's also been given to Tennessee Ernie Ford, Julia Child, Rita Moreno, Bill Cosby, which, okay. And, uh, <laughs> and Ellen, Ellen DeGeneres. So, uh, not to mention, not too long ago, Trump gave it to Rush Limbaugh. That was that was impressive. Mm -hmm. um, and the day after the uh, the Capitol was attacked, he gave it to Gary Gary Player and Annika Sorenstam. So, uh, you know, this is I'd say the credibility of the Presidential Medal of Freedom has been compromised to some extent since the days it was being given to Mother Teresa. Um, it's on par at this point, maybe with an ESPY. Something like that, or uh, or maybe a <laughs> how about a Dundee? Maybe a Dundee, it's about right on par with a Dundee. Um, so I I just I, I don't know. I, I think the whole thing has been cheapened. Uh, this idea that we should give Belichick credit for not taking this award award from Trump under the circ current circumstances. I mean, I really don't think he really had any other choice. Um, but I can wrap this up most eloquently i think by mike put on your reporter's hat and and ask me what i think about this issue hmm i, well, I thought we just heard it but uh, well i have one more thing to say tim uh this whole belichick presidential medal of freedom thing um where do you stand on that on to cincinnati there you go <laughs> <laughs> i have on to biden written down here but uh mm -hmm. all right on to cincinnati mm -hmm. that's right mm -hmm. that was a new top for your research. That was great. <laughs> I'm trying to earn my keep. Um, are we ready to move on? Yes, it's, let's uh, move on to Tim for our final point.
way, uh, let's just remind folks first that uh, we have uh, multiple avenues for you to enjoy our our uh, thoughts and uh, public uh, mutterings. And that's uh, Substack, where Three Point Range is refreshed regularly, and what you can uh, get a free newsletter sent directly to your inbox. It's uh, Anchor.fm or Spotify or Stitcher, Google Podcasts, uh, place any and a number of other places where you like to uh, consume your podcast. We realize there's a great deal of competition in the podcast world, but we do our best to earn your trust. Uh, and we thank you for flying three-point range. And on to Tim. All right. Well, I, I think it's pretty clear now after 10 or so episodes of this that uh, that our fans have started to refer to us or to me as the funny one. So I will I will try to be the comic relief uh, on this otherwise heavy, heavy broadcast of three-point range. Um, and I, I'll, I'll harken back all the way to Sunday. Um, when I was watching the Bears and Saints playoff game, and I, I found it so mind mind numbingly dull, and also my three point range idea cupboard was so barren, I decided I I might as well watch the rest of the game on Nickelodeon. And my my son had told me that it was being broadcast on there. I thought, all right, let's go over and see this because this game is just hideous. Maybe maybe something will happen here that I can talk about. And sure enough, uh, oh, first of all, full disclosure, unlike you two SpongeBob freaks who off off the air call yourselves Mr. Krabs and Plankton, uh, I haven't watched Nickelodeon since my kids occupied that demographic. But I, I actually thought the NFL and Nickelodeon was, I guess I'll say, interesting. I mean, CBS doesn't tell every player's favorite ice cream flavor. And Jared Cook's, by the way, is chocolate and vanilla, in case, in case you were wondering. Nickelodeon tailored its broadcast to kids, which they should, and that produced such cogent analysis. I, I hope you guys got a chance to experience this. Um, the comparison of Mitch Trubisky's midseason benching to being grounded by your parents and the playoffs allowing Mitch to earn some extra credit points to improve his C-grade season. I don't think, having watched the game, that Mitch did that. I'm afraid he may have flunked himself right out of Chicago. Um, the halftime highlights were delivered, according to my children, Minecraft style, with the Saints and the Bears players transformed into these weird Lego-like figures. Uh, the penalties were explained by young Sheldon. And through an online fan poll, Nickelodeon awarded its MVP trophy to Trubisky, the losing quarterback, um, which only made his day worse when it blew up later on Twitter. Um, the game itself was a was a sloppy mess, which somehow made more sense watching it on a field covered in the network's trademark green slime. Touchdowns were scored in the digital slime zones with cannons firing green ooze. And Unfortunately, there weren't enough of those. That was the best part. There were only, I guess, four touchdowns in the game, um, and that doesn't count. This doesn't count this uh, illegal use of slime when a touchdown was called back for a penalty. And I think it was Squidward. Are you guys familiar with Squidward? Anyway, um, um, prop. Vaguely. Anyway, pr props to the NFL. I I I have to say that that you know they're already obviously by far America's most popular sports league. Uh, and I give them credit for continuing to seek you know, new ways to 
appeal to the the next generation but i have to admit that when when i finally permitted myself to switch back to cbs for the post game um i felt like bro hugging jim nance i just missed him so so the bottom line is i'd rather have been watching blues clues ding um so crabs plankton did y'all catch any of the nfl on nick no, I didn't even know Nickelodeon. I, I knew that they uh, subsequently did that experiment. I wasn't sure which game it was for, and I didn't even know Nickelodeon still existed. What did the NFL get for the rights fee from Nickelodeon? Did you find that in your voluminous research? I think they're just part of CBS Viacom. So it's oh, all, there you yeah, go. It's okay. all, all, they're all in bed together. It's like ESPN, ABC. Sure. Mm -hmm. uh, well, you know, I'm, not, I'm a little surprised it took this long if this was uh, – the experimental aspect of it, when you had SI for kids all those years, um, you know, getting people to think in those terms. And I give them mm -hmm. credit for picking a game that started in the late afternoon and uh, instead of the uh, night game that went on past 11. So that was, of course, CBS was the aspect there. So that was their game. Uh, mm -hmm. The Bears were 10.5-point underdogs and played like it. So you, you certainly didn't have the competitive aspect to keep you in. I. I'm a little concerned that you can rattle off all those characters now, and I think you're going to need to go through a, a some sort of cleansing period to uh, to get back into uh, you know, full adulthood. But you're um, the SpongeBob fan. Come out of the no, I've never, I've mm -hmm. never, I've never liked it. No, and I, mm -hmm. you know, it's interesting that <laughs> this would come up in a period where social media was was rejoicing over the the uh, after 20 years the cancellation of Caillou and Caillou on PBS certainly was an annoying little boy and he finally got the axe uh i found dora the explorer also extremely annoying and uh but uh you know it opens up a lot of possibilities going forward you just take the worst game of the wild card weekend maybe it's to be a tradition every year and then just move it around and have some have some fun with it to uh to draw in the non-traditional fan and um uh, yeah, I, I guess I, I would endorse that, but I certainly don't want to uh, watch it myself. My kids would watch SpongeBob sometimes, and I could never make it through a full episode without just totally spacing out or falling asleep. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> like, what is going on? Like, I can't focus even when I want to on this show. But um, uh, did you guys, did your crack research team, either of you, uh, find out if it was a rating success or not like they they are not they don't don't have the ratings until today we're unfortunately we we're, we're on too too early to find out what the ratings were i yeah, looked into that i just saw something that said it was um you know a smash hit with uh um with adults yes like yeah that, i so. mean uh yeah there's been some very positive reviews from people at sports illustrated and espn but those are adults and i think the key here obviously is whether there was any sort of uh, moving of the meter with kids, and I don't even know how you figure that out. I mean, how do you know? I guess if, 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 if like in my house, uh, somebody's watching the Nick, you assume they're watching it because, because of the kids. Now, that wasn't the case here, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's very much, it's very much tailored for kids. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, Drew Brees is walking to the sideline and there's a, hamburger superimposed on his head um <laughs> you know you, you it takes a little getting used to for your for your average nfl fan. i wonder what a purist mike berardino sports fan eight nine ten years old watching his dolphins would think 
if all of a sudden, you know, a hamburger was superimposed on Bob Greasy's head, would he just be like, <laughs> this is wrong. This is not well, sports. I it's the, uh, I, I'm thinking back to that young boy, and I'm remembering the first time he saw the game of the week in baseball on a Saturday, uh, Reds and Astros, and uh, it was 76. I missed the 75 World Series living on a horse farm. <laughs> Nobody watched it. I'm still, I'm still bitter about it. I didn't get to see it. But Pete Rose introduced the Reds lineup, and uh, he had a little wisecrack about every player on the big red machine. And I was, and I remember that moment. I was watching alone in our den, and I was just like, that looks like fun. And I sat there, and I watched the whole game, and I immediately became a Reds fan. And I can imagine that with just a little effort, to take some of the X's and O's away from modern sports and just a little more thought to that young viewer maybe watching for the first time and waiting for something to draw him or her to the game. Um, something, as simple as, something as simple as having the play. They don't do this anymore. Key and Peele did it, you know, very humorously. But remember when way back when Otis Sistrunk would come on or and say, you know, University of University of Mars. It'd be just good enough just to have them come on and say what university they all went to, just to hear it in their voice rather than just a graphic. And and the more we can do to humanize the player, I don't necessarily need to know all their favorite ice cream flavors, but the more we can do to humanize them and make them more than just chess pieces, the better. That's good for us too, because this stuff does stick in our minds. This, this All right. Well, I think I have a way to tie in a bunch of our subjects from this podcast and other podcasts with what you just said, because Pete Rose was a great ball player. There's no denying that. Despite, you know, gambling on baseball while he was a manager, he was actually a, a really good manager, a very successful manager, which is very rare for a player to go, a successful player to become a successful coach or manager. Um, and with, in light of what he, he Mike just said, and how that really sort of maybe catapulted him to his great sports casting and sports writing career. I think we should give the first ever three point range medal of honor <laughs> Pete Rose, who was denied the Baseball Hall of Fame, but he should not be denied this honor for great things he has done for people like Mike Berardino. Well, I mean, I did have the Hustle Makes It Happen shirt uh, and wore it and, and a Pete Rose haircut. Uh, He's already got the award. You don't need to convince me anymore. Yeah. I, I just feel like uh, Bill Belichick uh, is deserving of this as a consolation prize. Or yeah, actually, you know, just, just, to, just to double down on what we've said here. Tim, you cast the deciding vote. Does our first ever three-point range Medal of Honor go to Pete Rose or yeah. Bill Belichick? Roger Penske. <laughs> well, it's, apparently we, 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 we're going to have to go and we're going to have to have a runoff and uh, that will come next week or next time we gather um, to discuss the uh, pressing sports topics you're not hearing discussed anywhere else or at least uh, this strangely. Okay, and that is our show for this week, uh, for this episode. We thank you once again for listening to Three Point Range. Uh, remember that uh, you can check us out on Substack and get a free newsletter sent right to your inbox. Uh, we encourage you to check that out. There's a Facebook page as well, I failed to mention, Three Point Range. Uh, you can like that, follow that, whatever. And, uh, and there's also uh, anchor.fm where you can contribute if you're so enamored with what we're doing here and can't think of anything else to do with your discretionary funds. Well, you can contribute and help sponsor this show and keep this going. Although a little secret, we're, we're just going to keep going anyway. Uh, we don't know any better. So uh, 
We'll see you again in a few days and uh, have a great uh, week. Thank you for listening. For Tim Crothers, the professor, for Kimball Crossley, the scout, I'm Mike Berardino, available for hire. <laughs>